Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, you are now tuned in to the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast, episode 159. We got a special one for you. We got NBA vet Eton Thomas on the show, and we're talking nothing but hoops. This is a special one, folks. You guys are really going to enjoy this. It's the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Drew, give me that intro music. Excuse me. I didn't mean to interrupt like Mount Vesuvius. I'm about due to erupt. Use it or I'm losing it. They say I need to loosen up. Tight, I'm well taught. I'm must do the max like Ludi us. I do have something to say, so you got to give it up. Give it up. What up, podcast world? What's up, everybody? You know what it is. You know where you're at. It is the follow-through with Clips and Drew, the True Players Podcast. And we got a special one for you today. We got two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year, nine-year NBA vet, author, poet, senior writer at basketballnews.com. The man with the big man bias, the big homie, Eton Thomas, is in the house. Eton, thank you for joining us, my friend. What's going on, sir? How y'all feeling? Oh, oh, it's 11 years, though. They always cheat me out my two years. They really? Always, no, no, Wait, no. What? This, this is what it is, though. So I was injured for two years. So my first year with, with the Mavericks, I was injured. And then in the middle, I had open heart surgery while I was playing. So I missed that year. And, and some places give me them two years. Some places don't. I don't know why. That's, that's, 11. That's, that's 11. That's 11 in my book. Though, right? That's, that's yeah, 11 that's years. <laughs> Any man that comes back from open heart surgery deserves an extra year on, on, right. on Wikipedia. Give me, my, give, give me that year on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have not recorded a pod um, since game five of the finals. Drew uh-huh. had to go on his uh, sabbatical, his golf trip. So, uh-huh. you know, Drew is the, the Laker fan. So I have to give Drew his props right now for winning – you know, the Sheraton Ballroom Bubble Championship. Um, I gotta, Sheraton Ballroom Bubble. <laughs> I got to give you your props, Drew. Drew, how are you feeling? Well, um, I feel good. I feel good. That's, uh, that's number 17 for the Lakers. That feels real good. Tying the Celtics always feels good. Um, this was a unique one for me, mostly because we were golfing, as, as you mentioned, on a golf trip. And I did not think the series was going to go to game six. So we teed off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Game started at 4.30. We didn't get done until about 6.30. So we had to do the deadly game of nobody look at their phone, everybody go on airplane mode, try not to like, try to avoid all television screens, you know, as you're going through the clubhouse, what have you. Um, but I was very pleasantly surprised. We were able to get – nobody found out the score. We were able to get to the house, turn the game on late, and it was cool because by the second quarter, it was pretty much in the books, like the game was over. Um, so it was, you know, obviously the bubble aspect of it was very unique and different than any other celebration that I've been alive for as a Lakers fan. Uh, but this one's still just as sweet. I'll tell you that much. I mean, LeBron and Anthony Davis, they played unbelievable basketball. I mean, I think as far as the playoffs go, we're talking about one particular year for playoffs that's got to be up there with the best performances of all time for, for a tandem on a team. And honestly, I mean, it's, I know it's super early and the reaction is what it is. I'm looking forward to a back-to-back next year. That's all I can think about is we're going to do it again one more time. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm ecstatic about it. I'm showing you love, Drew, so congratulations. And I know you Thank weren't you. 
you weren't involved in we had so many great virtual watch parties right Eton? like just like we had so many awesome people right. come in it was so it was cool. great it was awesome like i yeah, it was great <laughs> well it's weird now because we had i had to fight to get words in when there's 12 people in the room and now, now like i have your full attention with this so uh, we can basically say whatever we want to say but right so, since some people weren't able to be in those virtual watch parties, you know, what was your takeaway from just the whole bubble experience and, you know, the zero COVID positive tests and just how the NBA uh, handled that whole situation? Well, I had to give a lot of props to um, Adam Silver. You know, I was somebody who was very uh, skeptical of the, them even starting the NBA season as a whole for COVID reasons. I mean, I just didn't see how it was going to work. Nobody knew anything about a bubble or anything like that. And so it was like, okay, we have this new thing that nobody has ever heard of and it's going to keep everybody safe. I was like, mm, I don't know. You know what I mean? That sounds kind of iffy. <laughs> and so I was really, I actually wrote an open letter to Adam Silver, you know, saying, you know, don't do it. You know what I mean? It's not worth it. Like, you know, but but I had to give them props. I mean, the, the system that they, I, I wish their system would translate into like the political sphere, you know, because it, it, it worked. I mean, I'm looking at college sports. I'm looking at college football, looking at high school sports everywhere. I mean, unless you can create that type of a bubble situation, it's just a big gamble. So, I, you know, I got to give props to them. You know, they had a few little hiccups here and there. But, you know, as far as the testing process and nobody in, nobody out type of thing, even when they opened up and allowed family to come in, you know, they did it in a way that kept everybody safe. So I can't say enough for a positive thing for Adam Silver. And then what do you think about the play in general? Because, we, I mean, we saw emergence of stars in Jamal Murray, mm -hmm. uh, TJ Warren early, and mm -hmm. then, you know, a lot of other players coming up. What do you think of, of just the play in general? I thought that the play was, I, I thought the product looked a lot better again than I thought it would look. Mm -hmm. You know, at first when they started, I thought it looked weird. You know what I mean? They had like the TV monitors, it looked like the Hunger Games, and you know, guys were, it just looked weird because that's not what we're used to seeing. But then as it continued, you just got used to it and the play was good. And then once the playoffs started, you know, they had the play in, which was exciting. And then the playoffs started and then you had upsets. Nobody thought that Miami was going to beat Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. You know, you nobody thought that. I mean, so it was just a, 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 a good product. So I thought, I thought it was great. I thought it was interesting because Drew and I were trying to like come up with our vision of like what this was going to look like going into the bubble. And like, I think we mm -hmm. both had this vision of like Drew League meets Summer League, right? And we're right. thinking like these empty gyms. And then by, by the second or third day of games, like I didn't even think about the fans. Like they made right. it and just how much room the players had to run. Like mm -hmm. we, by the second game, we were like, oh, Russell's going to love this. Like you can go down speed 150 miles an hour and no cameraman in the front row. Like right, right. Just, aesthetically, it like really worked. And uh, I think they're going to try to do it again because I don't know how long this is going to take, you I know. Um, and if they can do these, uh, would you be for like – separate bubbles would you be for like yeah definitely i'll be for whatever kept kept everybody safe uh, to be honest with you i wouldn't be like for someone you know like i'm looking at florida and you know uh, everything bad seems to happen in florida lately to be honest with you but i'm looking at florida and you know they're pushing for a stadium filled with fans and i'm i'm looking at the university of florida where they just have five guys four or five guys just tested positive again and it, it's just if you're going to do it do it in the most responsible way that you can keep players safe and I, you know, it, I know Adam Silver wants to do it a different way, do it in the stadiums, but I, I also believe that if the situation doesn't call for that, then he'll go to a bubble situation again. Not preferred, but I think he'll 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 do what's right. And that's 
that's what you got to give props for Adam Silver. I mean, we, we've seen, uh, like, comparatively to other um, sports leagues, um, the NHL, they went to Canada, and they were successful. I thought that was great. You know, they didn't have any kind of issues. They had strict protocols. Um, the, the things that they implemented and put in place, it worked. Then you have baseball, which is a catastrophe. And their plan was just a bad plan. It was just horrible from start to finish. And then now you have the NFL, which is trying to figure it out, but you're also seeing guys test positive. And the problem here is that we don't know the long-term effects of people testing positive. And so it's funny when you hear people say, well, how many people died? And I was like, well, that can't be the only barometer. You got, you got to be able to include some other stuff here. And it's just a big question mark. So when I see youth sports, and when I see young people, high school, middle school, you know, college, and they're playing and they're, and they're testing positive, and I'm like, we don't even know what this means for five years from now. And you, we could be ruining their entire career. So that's where I just get where you err on the side of caution in a situation like this. Now, do you, since you had that heart surgery, like, do you have mm -hmm. underlying health issues then? Like, yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm in high risk. Right. I'm, I'm in a high risk category. So I haven't, I've been quarantined. I've been in the house. So and I was going to ask you that as well, because my mother works in the hospital. She's been there mm -hmm. for, for 30 years. She's mm -hmm. been very adamant about me staying home and not being in public. And I've kind of listened to everything she says, because I trust, mm -hmm. you know, I trust my mom and Drew has been doing the same thing. Like he's literally the only person that I've been seeing over the past six months just to record. Right. Um, so I was going to mm -hmm. ask if you've been keeping, if you've been staying home and I see you have a gym at home, so you get to work out, right? I saw you and your, your yeah. daughter boxing yesterday. <laughs> right. Well, that's what we do, though. So, I mean, we had to make the decision. You know, I coached my son's AAU team, and we didn't do any AAU this summer. And uh, the girls didn't do any volleyball or anything like that. And um, so we just started working out in the backyard, and we have, I have a gym. You know, we have space in the backyard, so we just, we're just working out. I got a hoop, got a court, so that's what we do. So even in the fall, we had to make a, a decision because, you know, they, people are trying to figure it out for high school sports. You know, they want to try to, you know, open up. And I'm looking at the, I was like, okay, so what's the protocol? What's the procedure that we're going to use? And they're like, well, we're going to spray everything down really good and wipe up like, mm, that's not enough. Is that <laughs> it? Is that all you got? Nah, we're going to sit this one out. So so, so for, my, for my kids, you know, we've had to make the decision that we're going to keep them out of fall sports. And we'll revisit it in the spring. But regardless of what, you know, and Maryland has been good. Maryland is not like Florida, you know what I mean, or Texas. So, but they're still trying to slowly open up. And I'm like, yeah, not yet. We're just going to keep on working out and doing what we're doing. Are your kids actually in school at this time or is it still virtual? Like, are it's they virtual. Going, okay, no, no, okay. we're all virtual. But that's the crazy part is the, the schools are virtual, but then they're trying to open up sports. Right. So they're having actual virtual meetings, right? about opening sports. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I'm like, come on now. Y'all, yeah. come on. That, that doesn't even sound right. And so, yeah, I, I, can't, I can't let my kids do that. <laughs> um, question for Drew right now, because I want to get into an article that Etan wrote that I, I absolutely loved. And one thing that you and I saw eye to eye on, Etan, um, during our virtual meetings and whatnot was all the hate that LeBron James has been getting, right? And oh my gosh. You, I know, <laughs> and we, we've seen eye to eye on this and you were actually so thorough with it that you had been keeping tabs. You had 50 quotes from different outlets, from Facebook, from Twitter, from Instagram, of, of dumbass things that people have said throughout, <laughs> throughout this season, uh, prior to the start, during the season, and during the right. playoffs. Right. And, you know, me being from L.A., Drew being a Laker fan, obviously me being a Laker hater because I have to be. I've mm -hmm. been 
I've been pushing just how, how much I love LeBron James. And it was, this was really difficult season for me because going into the season, I love LeBron. I love Rajon Rondo. You know, I love right. a lot of the, and, and I also still have to hate them. So <laughs> my question first is for Drew is now that you got the chip that you've expected on the, 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 the LeBron two year plan with every team that he's ever played for it just takes two years for them to minus the Cavs first run. Um, What's your take on LeBron now? Are, is he accepted throughout Lakerland now or what? What's the deal? Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. I think I said this from the, the first day, first or second day that we got him after, after he just decided to you know, become a Laker. I said that's the only real way to win over the Laker fan base is to win a championship. I mean, the whole idea, we're not going to deny his greatness by, you know, if he falls short and doesn't win as a championship. But if he wants to be embraced by Laker Nation in the same way that all of our greatest players have in the past. The only way to do that is to bring us back to championship glory. And you're absolutely right. It only took him two years. And last year's, I don't even really, I mean, that was a discount year. He got injured like for the first time in his career, he was out for like the longest period of time. And Luke Walton was not a great fit for him as well as, you know, a lot of the younger players. So this honestly, to me, this was year one, if you will, of this new project, because getting Anthony Davis was exactly what we needed to get over the hump. I guess your question to me probably makes more sense in, in reference to the way I feel about Kobe. I'm assuming that's kind of what you're getting at. And, and for me, Kobe will always be a little bit higher in my, you know, just my personal rankings because he was a Laker for life and he did so much for the organization. So in that regard, he's still below Kobe, but of course. dude, he's, he's amazing. He's one, he, I mean, arguably the greatest player ever. Definitely. Oh, top we're going to argue that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely top two or three. I don't care who you chopping it up. He's definitely in the top two or three. Um, and I, you know, I, I love him right now for sure. I, I, you know, champions again. I love it. See, Etan, though, you got to understand dealing with Laker fans, you hear for so many years how much they hate LeBron. And then once you right. get him on your team and he wins you a title, then they forget all of that shit. Yeah. So my question to you right now is, first, what made you want to keep notes about all the erroneous stuff that you had been reading on Twitter and social media? What made you start doing that? I mean, honestly, I wasn't even keeping notes. I just kind of went down the list of stuff that I remember people saying. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it was, it's not hard. You, you, every day on Facebook, you see that. Every day on social media, somebody is saying something. You turn on ESPN, somebody, Skip Bayless, or, you know what I mean, someone is saying something. And, and I'm like, dang, y'all, it, it's, it's amazing to me. But it, it's, it's, this is like, I would say nobody that I've ever seen that received this level of hate. You know, I mean, even back with MJ, even back with, you know, people hated on players and stuff like that, but not like with LeBron. And my always my question was always, why? Like, what is it about him in particular? It can't be about the decision. Can't. That can't be where people go. So what So what is it? Some what, people what? do, though, Etan. Some people will take it back to that. They're still like, mad at the decision? Still mad at the decision. Uh, they got to get over that, man. <laughs> it was all ESPN. That was all ESPN. It wasn't like LeBron was like, you know what, we're going to make this a huge spectacle. Listen, I have no problem with the decision. Right. I had no problem with it then. I had no problem with it now. I mean, for him to take control, it was a boss move. I'm going to take control of my, my own, um, you know what I mean, media outlet. I'm going to take control of the narrative, everything like that, and create it myself. Aside, like, I don't have to go to you. That's like, you, I don't know if you remember Master P, right? Okay. That's like Master my P. Favorite of all stuff. time. Okay, all right, all right. Well, my bad. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm a no we just limit soldier, each other, Clips. I'm a all right, all right. soldier. <laughs> all right. Well, Master P said, okay, I'm going to do it completely different than anybody else has ever done it. And people look at you like you're crazy until it works. 
86, you know, 86 cents on the dollar Master P got. For right. Nobody that did that. Nobody. So you look at so you look at somebody like LeBron, you know, everybody has to go through ESPN because that's just what everybody has to do. But LeBron said, no, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to create my own entity. And I'm going to have everybody have to come to me. I was like, oh, much respect as soon as I saw that. And what's the difference between him doing that and, like, signing day for high school kids and college kids? It's the same thing. Like, you're just telling people where you're going, right? I, I had – listen. I, and then people were talking about, well, he, he, owned, he owed Dan Gilbert a heads up to tell him before. I was like – but no player said that. No, you didn't see no players say that because we all know that the organization does not give you a heads up anytime you're going to get traded. Like, if you hear – like, you could do a whole podcast – just the stories of guys finding out that they've been traded. And not even like, you know, lower guys, but like Shaq. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like top guys, how they find out. So, no, nah, you don't owe the team anything, please. Drew, what was your narrative for so long about LeBron? Oh, I, I, growing up, it was the media that, that pitted LeBron and Kobe against each other. So it was very easy for me to take Kobe's side, like forever. Because at the time, it wasn't, LeBron has definitely leapfrogged what what Kobe was able to do as far as basketball is concerned from a statistical point of view, you know, all that stuff. I mean, minus minus one championship, I guess, is the only thing that Kobe uh, has over him at this point. But that was always the thing that it, it was it was almost not even like uh, a coexistence. Like when I grew up, it was like you either you either love Kobe or you love LeBron. And there was no way that I was going to I was going to side with. LeBron in that. I mean, as I've grown, old, grown older, and you know, of course, you take a step back from the, just that uh, single-minded fandom, and you you have to look at great players, uh, you know, absent of any prejudices or biases that you have for the team that they play. And without a doubt, he's about as a great of a basketball player as there ever is going to be. You, you, if you wanted to build one from scratch, you'd end up with somebody like LeBron James. So. Um, and then on top of that, everything that he's done within the game, outside of the game, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a better example of a professional athlete than, than him. I think he's done everything right. I mean, the decision I think is, is hilarious because I don't think there's anything wrong with what he did, but that's the only thing people grasp onto. And we see it now, like, like you guys just brought up, every season players make decisions like this. But, you know, because it, because he happened to be the, the superstar in the spotlight and he did it first, uh, that, that's usually how it goes. Anyone who does something first um, never really gets, I mean, typically doesn't always get, you know, the, the, the best end of the, of the stick. But now, like we like Kevin Durant made the decision last season to go to Brooklyn, the years before that to the Warriors. So I think anytime somebody like this decides to change the narrative in their own direction without any hints or anything, People always have this uh, kind of strong reaction, either for or against. And a lot of it goes against the status quo. Most people were used to seeing stars stay with teams, stay with franchises for years and years. And, and that narrative of owing the team something was, I think, really embedded in, in sports in, in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. But it doesn't matter anymore. It's a business. We see players, like you said, Etan, get traded at a drop of a hat. It, it, I mean, what was it last year? Harrison Barnes got traded in the middle of a game. Uh, he, was, he was sitting on the bench in the jersey and got traded at halftime. Like so, I, I think uh, I think he gets a bad rap for that. Now, for playing wise, the one thing that does stick out in my mind for LeBron James is JJ Barea in that Dallas Mavericks final. So that's go. the only thing that I will go up against and say, like, 
that's if, if outside of all the nonsense about moves or where he's going, blah, blah, blah. That, I think he had an eight-point game in that finals, and J.J. Barea was able to cause him some problems, and that lost to the Mavericks. On his playing record, I think that's the one that stands out the most to me. How about you, Etan? You know, I interviewed Mark Cuban uh, for my podcast, and we talked about that series. And he talked about how you know, LeBron is just a completely different player right now than he was then. Um, we talked about his, his basketball IQ and his court awareness and the way that he would get sh- like shaken. Like he was like, literally shook. He was like, we would throw a, um, a zone at him, and he would just make the wrong play. Like it would just throw him all the way off. He was like, now he throws on a LeBron, and he's just going to pick it apart. He, he was like, yeah. that is just completely different. He, he has grown as a player. Um, you know, in every in every way. Now, I also just interviewed Larry Hughes, who's my former uh, teammate with the Wizards, and he was teammates with LeBron. So I asked him about the LeBron that he knew when he played with him. Now, he was really young LeBron there with Cleveland. And he said even then, you could tell that he was going to be great, but you could tell that he was learning. And he talked about how he would go to different players and, you know, talk to them and ask them questions and things like that, like a young player um, speaking to different veterans and showing them the respect and, and learning the game. He was like a student, and he was just wanting to learn and learn and learn. Um, and he said that so he had all this talent all in the, all in the, the, the package, but it just wasn't all put together yet. But don't you feel – don't you – well, I think those first seven years in Cleveland, like Larry Hughes was the best player that, was sur- that surrounded LeBron, which is another yeah. reason why he dipped. Like uh, he, he – you know, they did nothing for him to bring people to Cleveland to play with him, to win a chip early. Mm. And they surrounded him with nothing. And <clears throat> I think he's the best player uh, to turn nothing to something. You know what I mean? And the other thing I want to bring up is, like, we talk about those those quote-unquote failures from LeBron. Nobody talks about the Jordan failures. Because Jordan right. failed a lot, okay? He did. Okay, he and did. I'm going to – I got him right he here did. in front of me. No, I agree. I agree. Listen, before Pippen – before Pippen, what did Jordan win? Nothing. Nothing. Swept, <laughs> swept by the Celtics, doesn't count. Lost 3-1 to the Bucks. shot 37%, doesn't count. Swept again by the Celtics, doesn't count. Lost to Pistons, lost to Pistons, lost to Pistons. Turns the ball over with 16 seconds against Orlando to lose the series and that. And nobody talks about that. No, but we want to talk about that. one series with LeBron James where he loses, right? But then comes back the next year and wins. Good point. And you also played with MJ. You played at the latter, the latter mm-hmm. stage of his career. But what was right. it? What was it like playing with him then? Oh, it was great. You know, it was crazy because everybody knew that this was his last hurrah. So it was like literally traveling, like with Michael Jackson or like the Beatles or something like that. You know what I mean? Everywhere we went, there was you know those old like that footage that you see of, my, of Michael Jackson traveling like overseas and he lands places it's like thousands of people, cameras going everywhere, everybody screaming. That's how it was every day for us, wherever we went out. You know what I mean? And you'd like, you would see people like look at him and just start crying. You know what I mean? Like Michael Jackson back in the day where they touch him and they pass out, all this weird stuff. So those were like my first years in the league. And we're like, man, is this how the league is? And Christian Leighton would be like, no, that's, they're here for him, not for us. <laughs> So he would always correct it like, oh, this is, we're just the other people. It's really about MJ. But it it was great playing with him, though. I mean, how how many people can say they played with MJ? Not a lot. Right. Uh, And, you know, you said something interesting in our virtual meeting when you're, uh, or a virtual watch party, where you're kind of like anti-media a little bit because you think the media puts out a lot of BS. Definitely. No question. No question. You were saying, (laughs) you were saying, 
you were saying a story of like you and MJ would talk and like you'd read articles and you'd be like, this is, did, totally did not happen. None yes. of this happened. All the time. That happened all the time. But we would see articles written and they would be telling a story about something that happened. And then we're looking like, that never happened. Like all, and, and MJ, we're like, MJ, you're just lying. He was like, ah, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? I've been dealing with that my whole career. I was like, yeah, but they're just making stories up. Like, this isn't even a little bit true. And I remember them making up stories about Kwame, making stories about, you know, they just wanted a story. And then when somebody printed a story, you saw other um, outlets um, referencing that story that never was verified, but they have an anonymous source. I, I saw them doing it so many times. I know Alex did like me always saying, he was like, well, yeah. you have to look, he was like, you have to look at the source. I was like, the source is the Washington Post. <laughs> the Washington Times. You have ESPN. I mean, that, we, we saw it all the time. I mean, that's, that's just what happened. You brought up Kwame Brown, and I know um, that he got such a bad rap from the media, mm -hmm. from a lot mm -hmm. of people. And I and you wrote it. I think you wrote the article, or it was in your book, where you were talking about that it wasn't the media that, or Kwame that ruined Kwame. It was it was Doug Collins. And I know you yes, kind of have definitely. some beef beef with Doug Co or beef or whatever you want to say. Well, it's not really beef. It's just being truthful. I mean, that's what happened. Doug Collins was terrible for Kwame Brown. Like I Why? saw him literally destroy Kwame, Kwame Brown completely. Listen, I saw the um, the workouts before they drafted Kwame. I was there. And they brought in Tyson Chandler. They brought in Eddie Curry. Brought in all the big men. And it wasn't even close. Really? Like, Kwame destroyed them. Really? Both of them. All, all the, Whoever they brought, Kwame destroyed them. It wasn't even, it wasn't even like, it was like here and here. Like, it wasn't even close. So, but, but from day one, Doug Collins was brought there for MJ. And so his, his job was to make MJ look good. And so anything that went well, it was all praise to MJ, right? Anything that went wrong, it was Kwame's fault. Right. Like anything, even stuff that didn't have nothing to do with Kwame. It and was Kwame's kid. fault. And he was, and he was 19, 18-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. So they had all nervous, you know, messing with his confidence, everything like that. But it was literally every single day. So the way me and him got cool was I was just like reaching out to him. But I was like, man, it's messed up how they're doing this young cat. You know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't playing. Like he wasn't playing me then, but I wasn't a target like Kwame. You know what I mean? Like Kwame would be like, man, I'd rather be over there with you on the bench than have to deal with all of this. I was like, I feel you. So that's how me and him got tight because it was, it was messed up. And then the media tried to start making a mockery of Kwame, you know? And then it just kind of carried on as like the running joke from the media. And I saw how they just started, you know, making things up that weren't true and everything like that. And I confronted some of the media people about him. I was like, well, who was your source with this? Like, who told you that this happened? And they didn't ever want to say, I was like, this never happened. Everything that you printed here in the Washington Post never happened. You should recant this. Like, Kwame should sue you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like having my man's back because I'm like, this isn't right. So, you know, I, you know, I, I know not all media. Alex thought I was like talking about all media, but you know, the media, I, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen some stuff. <laughs> I think today's like day and age, especially in social media, you, there's a real lack of the journalistic integrity that was yeah. part of the job. That was put, part of why you know, in, in the older days, why, like being a journalist, whatever, you know, sports or whatever topic, a part of it was, you know, verifying the information and getting right. it right yep. was a very real part of the job. And now it's, it's more about the speed at which you get stories out than it is the accuracy. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, unfortunately for Kwame, that was like kind of right when that trend was hitting its maximum capacity, 
uh, with the new internet age and blogs and stuff all coming out right around the time that he was a rookie. Um, and it certainly hasn't slowed down in the last 20 years. No, definitely. I mean, the, and it was all, it's the TMZ thing. We're not worried about getting it right. We just want to be the first to break it. Breaking news by us. And by it us. Could be completely inaccurate. Right. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, like, that, that hurt Kwame's confidence a lot. And then we kind of mm-hmm. see what happens with Markel Fultz, right? Like, and we've been mm-hmm. covering him for a while now. The kid was amazing in college, number one pick. And then right. – you know, things kind of don't pan out. And I'm, all, I'm also a very big advocate of like These are children, too, okay? They're 19 years old. And right. that's a lot to throw on somebody at 19. There's a lot of pressure. Not everybody is LeBron James or Kobe right. that accepts it and loves the pressure, right? right. And right. for a team to give up on you so quick because you have confidence issues and, and you know, we kind of didn't know what was happening with his shoulder and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think the media really hurt? Markel Fultz, do you think that pressured Philadelphia into getting rid of him and not even giving him a, a, a real chance in Philly? Well, I mean, you know, I think something was definitely wrong. I think he's, you know, resurrected his entire career and though, and it's really great to see. He looks like a completely different player in person, even the way that you're, you know, he's carrying himself. So here in the DMV, you know, everybody, every time he does something well, you know, everybody's like happy for him. And like, you know, praise because they know what he's been through. Um, he was a local product right here, went up through DeMatha, you know, so everybody around here knows him. And, you know, it's tough. And Philly is a tough place to play. Like, that's, that's I'd probably say, besides New York, Philly would probably be one of the toughest places to play when you're not playing well and when you're not winning. Now, when, it, when you're winning, it's probably one of the best. Like, Philly and New York is wonderful. But when you're losing, yeah, it's, it's Why do you tough. think that is? Because it's such a, a huge sports town? or what? I think – I think it's just the, the the environment, just the nature of the, you know, the tough New Yorkers, the Phillies, you know what I mean? It's just the way that, I mean, Philly fans, they booed Santa Claus. Remember that year when they booed? <laughs> I mean, it's just, Philly's just a different place. You know what I mean? It's just different. Another thing that you brought up in our, in our virtual uh, watch party was you were talking about how you kind of want your kid to stay away from social media because, no, definitely. We're, well, we're seeing like social media is making these young 16 17 year old people like they're these huge like lebron-esque players right like mikey on overtimes doing interviews on a throne on a mountain like they're you know what i mean and yes these guys are really good but i think i personally feel that you're setting them up for failure because now if you if you don't go to duke and you don't average 26 and you don't go number one they're gonna look at you like you're some kind of failure like you're a bus like you're a bus like you ain't tell them i mean i'm i so you used to see that a lot with New York City players. So New York City players would always be like hyped to be, you know, the the next coming. And I was just like, that that's too much to put on a good dude when he's 15, 16 years old. I remember thinking Sebastian. about that when I was seeing all the hype with Shea Cotton out of LA. And, and I was like, uh, Sebastian? Oh, Sebastian Telfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely. I was like, that's too much. I mean, it's they're, they're too young for all of that. In my opinion. So, like, when I tell my guys on AU team, I, you know, definitely tell my son, is just, you know, just put blinders on. Don't worry about all the outside noise. You know, I, I tell my son all the time, listen, you're going to see people who are going to praise you like you're the best thing since sliced bread, and then people who are going to tear you down like you're the worst basketball player to ever step foot on the court. And neither one of them are right. You know what I mean? So you just got to ignore all of it. So that's what I keep pumping into him but it's just this you know he doesn't have an instagram account or anything like that so i'm kind of keeping him away from that as as long as possible but i'm telling even the guys because they're they it's just a different era 
You know what I mean? I didn't grow up with social media. I didn't grow up. We had to go to the to the Parade All-American book to see who's who's listed or something like that. But, you know, they, they, they know everything, and they're constantly – it's too much interaction. But I think that with NBA players, too, it's too much fan interaction. You, you know if you had a bad game. You don't need a million people telling you you suck. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, there's nothing good that's going to come from that. Like, Danny Green had a horrible week. Like, just a yeah, horrible week socially. And, yeah. it was, and fans take it so far as to threaten wow. lives. And he had death threats. They death had death, threats. That's terrible. Laker fans, bro. Laker fans. That's terrible, um, man. Hey, but you were bringing up Shea Cotton. Now, Shea Cotton is a friend of ours. He's a friend of our show. Um, yeah. And I'm older than Drew. Um, and I grew up in the same era you did as far as, like, we, ha- we mm-hmm. ran and got Slam Magazine. You know what I mean? To read, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Who was I, that's how I first heard of Baron and of Shay and yeah. of Jermaine O'Neal and like all these guys. Right. And Shay, who's a friend of ours and has been on the show, you know, he was so good, right? He was mythical in Los mm-hmm. An- in Los Angeles. It was just rumors, rumors, rumors. And he was the first player that came to my high school. Crescenta Valley High School, and that was the first time my whole – it was standing room only, and he lived up to everything, like everything mm-hmm. we imagined. He had like 50, dunked on our center. He can jump out of the gym. But he was saying like, yeah, I was 6'4 in eighth right. grade, but I didn't grow anymore. Like that was yeah. that was my plateau. And then right. everything right. that happened – yeah, and him and Barron were yeah. going to go to UCLA together, and they were going to start this whole thing. And then you should see his movie Manchild, though. You have to. It's a, it's a, it's on Amazon. You can get it, um, and that can yeah, kind, kind of explain some more things about that. But back to New York too. Lance Stevenson, who's the all-time leading scorer in New York City, who had a good, you know, decent NBA career. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think what these younger players need to realize too that if you don't make it to the pros, there is still plenty of opportunities for you to be very success, successful overseas. You know, Josh Childress kind of did that thing where he's like, you know what? I'm going to go get my bag in Italy and play for 10. That's what Casey Jacobson did. He went to Germany. Mm-hmm. He's a star over there. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, you don't necessarily have to be a professional. You, you can start a podcast. You can be a photographer. You can, you know, be a great writer or blogger or something like that. It can't just be right. go to the NBA right. lottery or bust. Yeah, but that's the way the media does it a lot. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just the way that it's written up. Now, look, I can use myself. Now, I wasn't on no Shea Cotton and then that level, but I was pretty big in Oklahoma. You know what I mean? So I came out I came out of uh, Oklahoma, one of the top players, and I went to Syracuse my first year. I didn't play. I was playing behind the center, Otis Hill, and that was right after they got into the championship with John Wallace and them. So I didn't really play my freshman year. And the Tulsa media, the Oklahoma media was killing me. Like, killing me. Like, he shouldn't have gone way up there. He should have went to an OU uh, school in Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or something like that. And also just so it's, it's sometimes just either hype you up and praise you or tear you down. And it's like there's no middle ground. You know what I mean? Either you're, either you're a, 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 a superstar, a hero, or you're a bust and a bum. And that's the tough part with when – so when you see it happening, start hyping young cats up, it's like the setup. It's like they just setting them up because if you don't if you don't live up to the expectations that they set for you, then you're a bust. But that's just not fair. Well, going back to LeBron though, those expectations were set at at 15 for him, and he has right. lived up to and exceeded every single one of those. You're right. Yet they will still try to find something negative to say about you. You know, right. the social media stuff uh, for the young kids, I think, is like is really difficult. Like, especially for athletes the spotlight used to be much smaller and it used to take a lot more um, success in order for you to get some of that spotlight. But because the sports 
you know, uh, culture has now turned into a business. You got, you got guys out here scouting middle school players to try and get articles written about them. So then it, you know, I just think, I think Etan kind of nailed it. Like there is, there's no real winning in, in that, you know, if you're a superstar and, and you get 500,000 Instagram followers because of a crazy dunk or a 40 point game, um, all of that can go away in a second. If, you know, heaven forbid you get an injury and you, right. and you, you can't play basketball anymore. And so mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, especially young guys, it's really, it, I, we all get lost in what we do in those moments. And I think it's really important to develop some sort of sense of self outside of just the game of basketball. Right. And I, I think it's really difficult for young kids to do that these days when, when all they're looking at is, you know, reflections back at themselves, either positive or negative, that's filling their heads up with, you know, uh, maybe this thing is more important than schoolwork or, you know, whatever else I, what other passion that I might have. I I can't imagine how many uh, basketball players were really, really talented at basketball, but also might've had some other interest that wasn't giving them notoriety that, you know, they maybe decided to drop them. Maybe they wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer and they said, no, I'm going to do this basketball thing. I don't know. It just, it's a really tricky thing to navigate. I'm lucky. I'm not, I'm not a parent, but my brother has two young children, seven and two. And I, you know, I, Etan, you know, this with your children, navigating that as a parent has got to be so difficult uh, because so much of their self-worth is wrapped up into this, you know, nonsense social media. Yeah. Into likes and followers. And, you know, I think that without social media, like we wouldn't have seen Zion, right? Like Zion came on the scene so quick. He's from a tiny high school you know, Mm -hmm. but a couple viral clips. And next thing you know, homie, you're number one pick in the NBA, which is, which is pretty wild. And yeah, he, he deserves to be the number one pick, but he just came on the scene so quick. So uh, on the other side of that, I do think that social media is important. um, If you're trying to build a brand and now everybody is a brand, right? Like Mm -hmm. I take our social media very seriously because the more followers we get, the more listeners we get, the more credibility we get, you know, Mm -hmm that's how we're able to have Etan Thomas on the show is because we've built a good brand and we know the right people and we're all going to grow together. But I also, I just, I do think it's important, but you're right, Drew, you have to find that balance that just, you know, uh, and I, I think I brought this up to Etan, but like my whole life was, was basketball, was playing basketball, making basketball videos. That's how I got my following. But I realized that there has to be some sort of pivot you know, because I can't be throwing it off people's foreheads my whole life and throwing it off the backboard and going to Rucker Park and doing all this stuff. I got to find something else I'm passionate about, which is, which is the podcast. And like you found that in writing and in poetry and, and -hmm. all this stuff. And I think you had that in you early in your career too. I think you knew that you already had your plan post-basketball, correct? Well, yeah, well, I started, I started young, you know, getting, I was in, I was in a speech and debate when I was in high school. No and, way. You know, Shocking. Right. <laughs> I, was, I was going to speech tournaments and performing, you know, dramatic interpretations and poetry and stuff like that. So I, so, and I took it seriously. So we were winning, we were winning state championships in basketball in high school, but then I was also winning state championships in speech and debate. So I always kind of had both. So that was just kind of always my thing. So then I, I, you know, found my voice and, you know, started getting into activism and learning how I can use my, my platform um, you know, as a way to speak on these different issues and people will listen to me just because I play basketball. So then I started running with that. So then once I got, you know, older in high school and going to college and playing in the NBA, I just kind of kept that with me. So 
you know, when you talk to people from, you know, from Tulsa, they're like, oh, yeah, he's been doing that since middle school. That's just always kind of been him. Uh, your senior year, who, who came out? You, you said you, were, you obviously were big in high school, and I knew you were big in high school. But who was part of your class, your senior class? Uh, Kobe. So Kobe was uh, my, my senior high school was 96. Mm-hmm. That was Kobe. Uh, I don't know if you remember Winfrey Walton. He no. was like the top. Oh, yeah, now. So he was one of the stories of guys that didn't make it. But he was like right below Kobe. Um, and you had Tim Thomas. Um, you know, we, we, Lester Earl, remember Lester Earl? I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a Jermaine O'Neal. We had a great, we had a great class. One question that I want to get your opinion on, and we touched on it. And again, like it's so hard in the virtual watch rooms to get, <laughs> to get the words in. I mean, I tried my right. best. I had to fight for it. I did. I did. Okay. Though. Right. I thought you did fine. <laughs> but that last one, we had a lot of people. So, you know what I mean? That was a little different. Well, dude, we had. <laughs> We had two fifths of the Fab Five show up in the same right. room. Ray Jackson, right. Jimmy King. We had yep. Scoop B. We had Shamika. We had David West. Your boy Jahidi <laughs> White showed up. We were all fighting for yeah, some time. We had a lot of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know that. I know this story. I know this story is two weeks old, but I mm-hmm. wanted your opinion on this whole Kyrie Nash Nets. Like, what's going to be the next stage for them? Because I personally think, and I think Drew does too. Uh, we we've talked about it on our show. I think they're already setting up for, for some issues, you know, and I kind of want, I kind of wanted your player opinion. Like what's your take on that being, being a former player? I have, I have a lot of respect for Kyrie and root for him to have a great season. You know, KD, everybody here in the DMV loves KD. So, you know, root for him to have a great season, but that's just not the way to start off. You know what I mean? It's just not like the whole statement that, you know, we don't really have a coach. We're going to have like a, Coaching by committee. That was terrible. Come on, man. You can't say that. So now Steve Nash, and he's been kind of quiet about it, but he you have to come in from day one. Like he has to come in like Coach Carter. Like, this is my program, and this is the way we're gonna run it. Anybody else who you know he gotta come in like that because if not, then you've already lost your power before the season has even started. Before y'all have even had a practice yet. So he that's just that's just not the, the way to start. Drew? You got to have a coach. Yeah. You have to have, you have, to have a coach. coach. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have a head coach. <laughs> it just blows me away. I, I, that's like the last thing that he should be saying. Like, he can feel that, of course. If he wants to feel that, then fine. But, like, to the media to say something like that without even really – like, the first question. It's the first question of the Steve Nash era. And he goes, I don't even think we need a head coach. I just, I don't, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. And Kyrie works in, in a, a you know, very unique way in comparison to a lot of other point guards and players. You know, we, I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It, it still blows me away today. But I, I think, you know, with Kyrie, there's always, Nash is going to have a way to recoup that relationship. And I do think from from what I've heard about Kyrie, I think going to him one-on-one and having some dialogue would be beneficial uh, for Steve to try and just get an understanding of where where his mind is with that kind of a comment. But, you know, I, Etan, you, you know NBA locker rooms and, and team dynamics much more than I do. I, I can't imagine that <laughs> you know, any other approach other than the Coach Carter approach that you mentioned is going to work here other than, you know, maybe trying to extend some sort of olive branch in the form of like a dinner or – you know, lunch or something like that to try and, you know, figure this out and iron it out before the season starts. I mean, I, I, now, since the line has kind of been drawn to sand, I think he has to go coach Carter. To be honest with you, I think he has no choice. Yeah. Now, before he could have done the nice dinner thing and everybody come, but 
now it's now it's different. You have to have the chain of command. You remember when um when T. Lou was a he took over for Cleveland after David Blatt left, and so you know they were kind of saying, okay, well now it's LeBron's team, and LeBron's gonna call the shots. And it was in the middle of the game. It was the middle of like a timeout, and LeBron was like talking. And, and T. Lou, like, went Nino Brown on him. Like, he was like, you know, sit down. This is my team. Shut the F up. Like, like on camera. Like, right. you saw it. And he was like, and then that was the turning point. You have to do that. Right. You have to. It can't be the player's team. It can't. It got to be the coach's team. Like, that's, that's the way that has to – that's the setup. The head coach. You know what I mean? Do you think – are you fine with the Steve Nash hire? Or do you think it's like a, a, a more of a, a – you know, a buddy-buddy hire. Like, KD, Kyrie, who do you want in here? Who's going to listen to what you got to say? Like, shoot, okay, Steve Nash, which is completely out of the blue. And, like, you know, Clipper fans keep hitting me up and say, yo, should Sam get a head coaching job? And I said, yeah, he should. He's been on the bench a long time. He's a really good coach. Like, why shouldn't Sam Cassell get a job, but Steve Nash can get a job? What do you think the politics of that is? Well, I think it's just – you know, it's funny because when that first happened, um, Stephen A. Smith came out and said, you know, this is white privilege. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, not on this one. This is just because KD said that he wanted him as the coach. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that's, if KD would have named anybody else, that was who would have been the coach. Mm-hmm. And Kyrie, co- and, you know, he co-signed it. So and that was it. It wasn't like a, you know, he hired him because, you know, and I understand it because you're in a situation where we're looking at the number of black coaches in the NBA and the numbers are joining line down to like five. I get it. But in this situation, I don't think that's what happened. Um, now with the with the Clippers, that's a whole different situation. Like I'm like, I don't see how you jump past anyone that's not named T. Lou right now to to to, to have as as a coach. I don't even think that they should have. I I'm, I question why they would fire Doc Rivers right now. Now, if next year didn't work, then I could understand. But right now, I would say, okay, the bubble season was a catastrophe. You know, you had a lot of stuff that went on. Um, Montrose Harold, you know, lost his grandmother and he had to leave the bubble. You had the uh, Lou Williams incident. Lemon Pepper Lou. Lemon Pepper. Right, Le- <laughs> we'll call him Lemon Pepper Lou. But you had the Lou Williams situation that happened. And then, you know, you had other other factors that continue. You had Paul George who was, who was um, ver- who verbalized that he was going through depression while in the bubble. You had a lot of different factors that happened. So to just point the blame at Doc Rivers and fire him, I just didn't think that that was the, 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 the best move unless Kawhi said that that's what he wanted to happen. That's the only thing that makes sense. If anything less than that happened, it makes absolutely, absolutely no sense to, to me. But now, since you're going to try to run it back, you have no draft picks until when? <laughs> I don't know when. 2047. So, so this, yeah, something crazy like that. So, so why would you change something completely – you know, to try to try to, you know, make one last run at it when you know that these last this last little bit. It, so I don't, that's why I don't understand why you try to make a whole new format and, and, and fire Doc Rivers right now. But so you've already done that now. So then you have to at least have somebody that's in that same program. So things could transition a little bit more smoothly. And the only two people has to be T. Lou or Sam Cassell. Mm-hmm. So T. Lou has coaching experience. So I would think that he would have the edge. But if not T. Lou, I would think it would be Cam- Sam Cassell. But if you bring in like a Dan Tony or somebody that's going to have a whole new system, right. that makes absolutely no sense to me. It's a total Clipper move if that happened. 
You know what I mean? That would be a total, it would be like, I, I understand being thorough and in interviewing coaches. Okay. Like interview Mike Brown, Wes Unsell Jr. That's fine. Interview them. But I, I'm totally with you. And I think Drew is as, as well. Like we both view this as a downgrade, no matter what, whether it's T. Lou or Sam Cassell, it's still not Doc Rivers, you know? Right. And for whatever reason, it was so crazy. He was, he was a free agent for, for 32 minutes and already got picked up, you know, yeah. Doc, because he's coveted yeah. and people want him as his coach. And so I, I you know, anything other than T. T Lou is going to be a down downgrade for me. Cause you need somebody that knows the system and knows the guys. I agree. I agree hundred percent. And I, but I think that the thing about it is everybody was waiting to see the Clippers and Lakers matchup. And I don't care what Lakers fans say, they were nervous about the Clippers and Lakers matchup. Now, now, of course, now they're going to say, oh, we weren't worried about them. We're not, of course, they're going to say that now. But I don't care what they say. They were worried about that matchup. So that's what, you know, you want to see next year. You want to see them at their full strength, and it's going to be great basketball. Etan, our whole brand was relying on Clippers-Lakers finals. Like, everything, <laughs> we were so ready for it, Okay. That's all right. we, that we couldn't wait. Our listeners couldn't wait. And then I just got thrown the biggest curveball ever, dude. Biggest yeah. curveball. I could not. Yeah. I might have been, been the only Laker fan that was adamant about wanting to see the Clippers. You did. And it was, it was selfish because it would have helped our – it would have helped a pot. Uh, oh, but, okay. no, from, from, from a competitive standpoint, I was terrified of that matchup. Absolutely. Right. 100%. When we got right. Denver, I was like, well, that, you know, things are turning out pretty nice for us. <laughs> but the firing of Doc Rivers is so short-sighted. Uh, I just don't – I can't see, like, you know, hopefully Ty Lue, Sam Cassell, maybe they're able to have some continuity and, and yeah. plug those, those holes that they, that they saw um, in, the, in the playoffs and, and some of the weaknesses. But mm-hmm. taking the first year and throwing a pandemic and, and a situation of isolation in a bubble that's yep. unprecedented in – sports yep. and firing someone based on those results just doesn't make any sense. Now, but let me ask you, what are the Lakers going to do now? Because they have to resign some people. So yeah. who do they resign and then who do they let go? Well, I think Rondo's done enough to earn another contract for sure. Um, and I want him on the Lakers. Uh, obviously, first and foremost is Anthony Davis. So, as, no, you know, as, as soon as, you know, yeah. we can make that happen, Anthony Davis and LeBron have already proved that they're good enough to kind of drag the rest of a team with them with this finals right here. Uh, so to me, you know, we need more shooting. I, I said that from the beginning of last season. Uh, yeah. It showed up a lot in this season, and especially in these playoffs, the lack of shooting that we had. So I would love to get a shooter. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily have a name in, in mind. I was going to say, but who is out there that's right. going to be an upgrade? I mean, exactly. I, like Cole, I like Caldwell Pope. I, I yeah, thought I, that he's played well. He, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of Lakers are down on him because I guess consistency, but he looked good in the playoffs. He turned it on. I, he started playing his best basketball of his NBA career in the last two months, I think. Uh, really, honestly, in the last two series. Um, but you know, I think unfortunately, Danny Green just didn't have a great season this year. So you know, there, the list of free agents for this upcoming season is pretty small after last year's crazy. You know, forty percent of the of the league being a free agent. Um, I don't know with based on cap space and, and what we're going to see with the NBA rolling out, you know, are they going to let the, the teams have the same exact amount of cap space as last season? Is it going to go down? Is it going to go up? Um, we definitely need to address the shooting issue. Uh, the only piece that I think we have the, uh, the, the you know, some value in trading is Kuzma um, and maybe Caruso. Uh, but I don't mind either of those players. I, I think if I had to let go, one of them go, I would let go of Kuzma because I think he could fetch, 
you know, the best in return, whether that be in the sure. form of drafts or, or, you know, a solid player. That makes um, sense. But, yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think we're going to let either JaVale or Dwight go. Uh, ah. Both of those guys played big well. Man bias. Ah. Big man bias. It's big man bias. I think you need both of them. <laughs> I think you need both of them. I think, first of all, you, you there, there's situations where Dwight, I mean, I'm looking at Denver, and Dwight yep. was like a key factor in that yep. series, the way that he played against Jokic. And I think that JaVel has spots where he plays great, where it's mm-hmm. just working. They're, 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 you know, LeBron or Rondo is dribbling into the middle of the lane. They're sucking the defense in, throwing a nice little lob to him. He's being active, quick dunks, and, he, and he's playing great. Then you have other times where he's not playing so great, and then you sub him out and you put in Dwight. I like the one-two punch of it. I, I want them to sign both of them. And it's, it's – you think they don't think they're gonna sign both? Do they gonna let one go? I like I like the the lineup with both. It, they yeah. they both bring something different. And right. when you know when when we want to run, Javale's the guy. When we need some stout defense, right. we I don't think we handled Denver as easily as we did without Dwight. He was he was in, yeah he was so impactful against Jokic. Um, but then in the, in the final series, neither of them really got much run. And I think it's just right. a matchup thing. So, sure, I have no problem. If the money works, bring them both back. I have no, no issues at all. I mean, Dwight took a significant uh, pay cut this year to be on this team. And after his performance, my point is I think someone's going to call, come calling for that's him true, and say, though. hey, here's, you know, here's 10, here's 12 for yeah, one true. or two years. And I think that's going to be the hardest part about keeping them together. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Etan, uh, before we bounce, I wanted to get your uh, storylines for 2021. Like, what do you think are going to be the biggest uh, – things to watch for this next season when when we have a next season which is hopefully as early as february if we can um what do you think what do you got i mean everything depends on covid right now you know what i mean it's like we're all standing by to see what covid's gonna what's gonna what's gonna happen with it because you know it it'd be interesting to see what adam silver comes up with um because you can't play an entire season in the bubble in, in Florida. You know what I mean? I don't think you can do that. But, you know, would you do it regionally? Would you do it for a while and take a break? I think that's the the a big part of what happens. And I think Adam Silver is going to move cautiously depending on the numbers, which makes sense, right? You, you is, Where the numbers go, then that, that the numbers tell you when it's time to open up. That's how you, you know, common sense would kind of tell you that that's how it should be, right? But that's not what everybody is going by. But, um, you know, so that would be my main factor to see uh, Mike, what, here's what type a, of a season we have. Here's another question. You wrote Adam Silver a letter saying to not do the bubble and to not let mm-hmm. the players play. Did you write him an apology letter at all? Did you send uh, him one of those? Well, I, I emailed him. And, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I told him that it was I, – I was – you know, but I had to congratulate him. I had to give him props all around, the way that he handled the social activism piece, um, the way that he's – I, I think he's – you know, and, and it, it's so – he's so night and day from David Stern. Like, it's not even close. And, you know, so I just appreciate him as a commissioner, uh, you know, all around. I saw – even what he just did, you know, a few days ago, saying that he was going to give all the, um, the the NBA essential workers, the workers, you know, the, the bonus and, you know, give them, you know, time off and everything like that as a thank you. I mean, that wouldn't have happened before. Yeah, it just I wouldn't have. I get it, but Adam, David Stern was still very good. He was heavy-handed. I, I I understand that. But Adam Silver did learn from a pretty pretty good commissioner, unless, unless you were – Night and day. Night and day, I man. Listen, the, David Stern was good at what he did, which was marketing. Mm-hmm. And David Stern took the NBA from a marketing standpoint to an international conglomerate. Okay, but David Stern also, you know, 
he was so focused on marketing, there's other things that he kind of let go and didn't and didn't worry about that were problematic. So so for instance, you know, that like when when the when the when the brawl of the palace happened, right? And then his whole thing was okay, we can't let mainstream America all of our all the white fans be afraid of of these black basketball players. So we're gonna put them in suits, we're gonna have them smile in the camera because like that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, like he's so focused on the, the whole reason why MJ and that whole era was so quiet during the activism. You know what I mean? It's because nothing to take away from the marketing. Everything was all marketing. So you know it's, it's you know what's crazy, Tom, is we yeah. had Craig Hodges on our show before um, all the before uh, Floyd and yeah, oh, ask Craig Hodges about David Stern. No, well, <laughs> we did. Well, it was more of he was trying to take the uh, the 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 action way earlier than anybody else in the, oh yeah in the finals the 91 finals and they laughed at him mj and and, yeah. and magic were like dude are you are you fucking crazy like no we're not gonna do that you know and now we're <laughs> right because they had a brand to to protect yeah, no question and he and that was right after that was right after the rodney king verdict yes like you had to put the setting and everything that was when la was literally up in flames 92 mm-hmm. right and they yes. want to know parts of that. And no now, parts. and now, yeah. what do you think as as a former player and being active in the community? Like, are you just are you happy about what you've seen the past four months? Oh, definitely. The way the way the players are using their voices and using, you know, I mean, it, it's amazing. And that a lot of that starts with you know LeBron James being the top player using his voice the way that he's using it. But then it also goes back to Adam Silver being welcoming to to him using that voice okay. in that way. You know, there's no pressure for him to be quiet. There's no pressure for him to anything like that. So it, it's, but it's a special time. But remember, you know, back then, there was only like, my move up to a room for Craig Hodges and maybe one or two other people who, who were saying anything mm-hmm. outside of the lines of basketball. And now, it, you know, there's so much power in the athlete voice and so much power. When LeBron says something, you know, it, 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 it goes everywhere. So much so that you have Trump trying to, you know, try to try to insult his intelligence because he's a threat to him. So that just tells you the power of the athlete voice. Well, I mean, the, your book name is is more than an athlete, right? Well, that's the first book, but the, uh, my my recent book was We Matter: Athletes and Activism. And in that one, I I interviewed a lot of different athletes and activists uh, from the past and the present, and I wanted to talk about why they, you know, what 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 caused them to to use their voices in this way. So I interviewed all the athletes that I grew up admiring like John Carlos and Mahmoud Abdul from Craig Hodges, Bill Russell, Kareem, all of them, right? But then I wanted to interview current athlete activists, like, you know, Carmelo, who was who was uh, marching with the people in Baltimore after Freddie Gray was killed, you know? And D-Wade, he came out with the, you know, with the hoodie after Trayvon Martin and everything like that. And Eric Reed, who was kneeling with Kaepernick the whole time. And I wanted to ask them, you know, what what pushed you to really use your voice in this way? And, you know, all of it was around police brutality. That's what, that's what caused all the athletes to, you know, to have this athlete activism boom, so to speak. And so, you know, so fast forward to this season and seeing the way Milwaukee Bucks, you know, after, you know, Jacob Blake was shot and, um, you know, the way that they've been using the media to be able to have their message in the WNBA, like the way that they have been, you know, doing this, even going back to Alton Sterling and, you know, the name Flanda Castile. It's just it's just a special time of athletes using their voices. So I I, I love. It. Uh, where can they get your book? Um, on Amazon, and you know, all where books are sold. It's called We Matter. 
uh, athletes and activism. It, and I really wanted to put it together to motivate younger athletes to continue using their voices because younger athletes are inspired by, you know, at current athletes and, you know, athletes that they see is interesting. I interviewed John Wall for my book and he talked about how he was inspired by seeing Carmelo and LeBron. Remember at the ESPYs when they, you know, right in the beginning and they spoke about all, yeah. he, he talked about how he was inspired by seeing that. So, you know, it was really meant to really inspire younger athletes to continue using their, their voices and recognizing the power of their voice. So that's what I'm passionate about. Eton, that, that's awesome, man. And we, we appreciate you. You've been writing some really great content on basketballnews.com. You're no, part of our, our extended family. Um, yes, sir. You got a great book out, your podcast, The Rematch. You got to you gotta. I still think you should go Big Man Bias. I still like that name. You like Big Man Bias? I just love it. You, you say it so often, and it's so great. I, I, I want to put it on a T-shirt. I think I need to put it on a T-shirt. <laughs> Um, we, yeah, do, we do something, you know, at the end of every show, I take them out with okay. a song and you've been yeah. inspired. I've been, I've been listening to Wu-Tang for the past three days. So, yeah. and I heard you, but when you were boxing last night with your girl, so I got yeah. my favorite Wu-Tang song, it's yours. Okay. Oh, okay. Out with that. All so right. Follow through with Clips and Drew and Eton Thomas. This one was a classic. We're ghosts. 17. Machine gun rap for all my niggas in the back. Stadium pack, linebacker, nigga, flash stack. See through yellow lines, rock a fly jersey in the summertime. Guard, magic marker rap, bleed, benadine, relax. Wrote this, coming at your crab ass, coping, snatch your ice off. Chilling in the back, throw the lights off. Waves, water blend, round flowing, slow motion, thick snare. I feel it like a snail in the ocean. What's your wish? Wanna cringle like Chris? Melodic single dart, snap a nigga just like fish. You fucked up, some rich niggas, you done test, yo. Select the wrong department. Man, and niggas pulled up your dress Style molest that Canal chain nigga Where your vest at Flex and make me wanna bless that Yo, Saddam Hussein niggas Like the torch We flaming niggas Autograph that Flatten all the main niggas The world in the palm of your hand It's yours 22 million of useful land It's yours The seed in the black woman It's yours Double LP from Wu-Tang Clan Physique, like Raphael Sadiq, baby love the ganja leaf every day of the week. Super friends wake up, deluxe gourmet beats. The night is right, I might find me a sweet. It's a quarter full moon, I arrive woman swoon. Well groomed, dance hall packed full room. Lady move, peep my glide, peep my zoom. Keep and strive, smoke the lie, smoke the boom. Fill the fumes, consume toxic tunes. Hellbound, species 40 ounce typhoon. The ultra violent screen machine, move your body touch. The totem pole wobble arc, build this garden. Brush, beams of light, stop your breathing, it's hunting season, honey eyeballing down for no reason, grab a close, play post, wine and wax floors, never mind the laws, cause tonight, yo, it's yours, stop the yours. up the ramp, blast my watch through my preamp, the can't best to revamp, the shit'll get blacked, and full throttle, hot lead propels throughout my nozzle, crack your soul like bottles, leave you sip as bottles, you fad, you couldn't pull one drag off my blunt, you couldn't punch away out of a wet paper bag, with scissors in your hands, Pitch the rizzer, I stand close to walls, like number four the lizard. And channel through solar panels, blast off like Roman candles, not vandals. Stomp your ass like Wahoo McDaniel, you cock a span, you dog. Get fucked with our catalog, put the lights out and leave your brain inside a fog. It's only natural, actual facts are thrown at you. The impact will blow trees back and crack statues. Million dollar rap crews fold, check the six shit explicit. I crystallize around so you can sniff it. We live this, fitted hats low, conceal the crooked eye. No surprise, verbal stick up, put them high, rebel eye outlaw. Split second on the draw, blow the door off the shit like bricks of C4. It's yours, the world in the palm of your hand. It's yours, 23 million of useful land. It's yours, the scene in the black woman. It's yours, the world people.
Navy blue Glock in the safe Seen Dorothy in the garden getting skied away We hold a bell, son, that's my word Spot a rapper, run him down, throw him out in the third Yo, check it, I think like the man behind the register Evergreen smoking the stakes Bonnet power made me treasure With third down, six to go Flash of stroke lights, some open risen Hit me off, lovely and I love him With root beer thoughts Here's a tennis court for your birthday The baby face of rap politic with side A Avenging eagle crooks Rock the W in Spiegel books And Hydra Bush Kings came through And stopped your whole jokes with fire Kangos Watch Tony train a gang of hoes Painful like hearing the news Like when your man go Ends blow Windy at times Watch the room shake Your girl love to sit out the song Now watch your water break It's yours, The world in the palm of your hand It's yours, 23 yours. million of youthful land It's yours, The scene yours. in the black 